Hi, I'm Josh McDonald. And I'm Miranda Materi, and we are Hand Therapy Academy. We're going to talk a little bit about what to do for treatment and all the implications uh, for patients who have had a carpal tunnel release, so post-operative for carpal tunnel surgery. Yes, so we're going to go into the difference between endoscopic versus open versus ultrasound guided, which has the portals just similar to endoscopic, and maybe what are the advantages and the disadvantages. And one of my favorite questions I like to ask students and surgeons is, if you were a patient and you were having carpal tunnel surgery, would you prefer open or endoscopic? And why, and why would you choose that one? And, and I think like, if I was answering that question for me, um, I think I might pick open. Um, I feel like I have fewer patients. Now, let me start this by saying I don't see a ton of the ultrasound guided, so that may not be the best gauge of it. But I do see a fair amount of patients with the endoscopic where um, the outcomes are not ideal because maybe the whole transverse ligament wasn't cut or they cut something else or scar tissue kind of caused a problem that they didn't know to, to address. So I think I'd pick open, um, but I've also seen some success with the endoscopic. So that's a tough one for me to answer. How, what do you think? Yeah, I think I would go with what the surgeon was most confident with, like depending on the surgeon I chose. Um, but I'm kind of similar to you. I feel like I would want to do open just because you could visualize the nerve more than you would with endoscopic. And I feel like sometimes the portals are about the size of the incision. You know, you're only going a few, like there's not a big difference, I guess, between yeah. how much incision and how much wound care you're doing. Um, however, I did have the opportunity recently to speak to a doctor that's doing the endoscopic with carpal tunnel or with um, ultrasound guided. And that was, sounded really appealing to me, but I haven't seen a lot of the post-operative with those to really form a strong opinion. But the idea is with the ultrasound is you can visualize the nerve very closely and make sure you're not cutting um, the nerve by accident or one of the branches of the meeting nerve. Cause we know everybody's anatomy is different, right? So with ultrasound, you're able to see it before releasing the transverse carpal ligament, which I think is a huge advantage, similar to what you would do with open. You can see it and really visualize it. And some of that outcomes based is on the patient's situation ahead of time. Uh, you and I are fortunate enough. We don't have a lot of the comorbidities, diabetics, some of those things that that open release might cause more problems with wound healing and scar tissue and all the complications that may come from an open release, where sometimes Doctors are doing a, a little bit larger, maybe a three, four centimeter incision to really splay that open. So that may be a factor. And then how long that patient dealt with these symptoms ahead of time? Are they having muscle wasting? That will affect their long-term outcomes. So those are kind of things to take into, a, into account when you're deciding what I would recommend for a patient if they're going to decide to go get one of these operations. Yeah, definitely. So how severe it was before surgery. So one thing I like to ask my patients when I'm doing the post-operative assessment, and I think this is something I learned when I was working with a surgeon at Mayo Clinic, is ask them to rate their pain, rate their numbness, and rate their tingling, right? Because they're all three separate. And then how much of each of those markers are improving. And if you know what they are before surgery, it can kind of give you an idea of um, what they're going to be like post-operative. Because if they do have severe carpal tunnel, we know sometimes that numbness and tingling never goes away, right? Yeah, yeah. And tracking that so that you can give them like a concrete, they can track themselves and say like, these are the three things we're watching and they won't be instantly better, but they should continue to decrease in severity as they go. Right. And then another um, common, not I guess common, but sometimes when we are seeing these, because I think a lot of times with the open carpal or even the even endoscopic, we're not seeing them in therapy, right? If they come in, it's usually one to two times 
or they're those patients that are having problems like the pillar pain. And when they have pillar pain, I always like to manage their expectations and say, hey, this pain can last up to nine months and that's not considered abnormal. Because a lot of times patients just expect to be perfect after surgery when that's not the case. And I've got patients that want to be seen for an extended period of time. Maybe they're a little bit older and they're just having this constant like scar tissue and swelling here and they just want to work through that. And so we're trying to manage those expectations and say it's going to take some time. Um, we don't want to do splinting and bracing at that point. We want to get movement and mobility. Maybe if they're having some point tenderness, something to just like a, a, a pad under stockinette or something at night or when they're working on a computer, but really kind of decrease their expectation for high need therapy, it's kind of watch and monitor and make sure those things are continuing to improve over time. And then we can do check-ins if they feel like they still need it. Yeah. So what are you giving that patient on that first post-operative visit after you do the evaluation? Is there some kind of standard exercises you're doing or some standard treatment modalities you're using? I'll give them a lot of self-active range of motion stuff, some um, like uh, tenodesis, uh, tenon glides to get things just kind of very lightly moving, nothing aggressive, nothing forceful gripping, nothing active. And I'll even do some like larger chain movements where we're doing uh, maybe it's uh, apple picking or wall slide, just something to get that whole neural flossing in place just to kind of get them comfortable with this whole arm is functioning like normal and they should get back to using it as, as they are able to. Yeah. How about you? Um, yeah, very similar. I would say we're doing a lot of some scar massage and things like that early on, as long as it doesn't cause their symptoms to worsen. So sometimes patients will say, oh, I have more numbness and tingling now. Then I think, well, we've probably done too much, right? And we've gone too far. So it's really educating the patient on what exercises are good and beneficial and then what things could possibly be detrimental, like causing more numbness and tingling or uh, more pain. We want to usually avoid those things because I think it irritates the nerve more. Yeah. That nerve needs time to calm down and get past all that angry flare up. And anytime I'm doing something to trigger that, I'm just prolonging the healing process. So you're right. Yeah. All this stuff is as long as it doesn't make symptoms worse or prolong them as it goes. Yeah. But I'm like you, I like getting their shoulder moving. I like their elbow moving. You know, so many times these patients will guard their arm, especially if we're seeing them after carpal tunnel surgery, which we don't commonly do. But I feel like those are the patients that are more likely to present with, you know, the CRPS type symptoms and stuff like that. So just getting them moving early and doing a normal kinetic chain and then telling them to use their hand, right? Like I want you to use your hand to fold those clothes or to um, hold your toothbrush, just trying to get them to normalize the use of their hand as well. Yeah. I think a lot of surgeons won't even send these carpal tunnel release patients to therapy. If they're particularly if they're younger, or they're active, I'll say, Hey, this is going to take care of it. You're good. It's when they do a follow-up maybe a month later that says, Hey, something doesn't look good. And then they'll send them to us. So sometimes we get them after the problem has maybe escalated a little bit. Um, but it's understandable they don't send them to us right away because so many patients don't need therapy at all after this. So it kind of becomes this, you know, double-edged sword of, well, you shouldn't need it, but if you do, maybe end up there a little bit later than we would have liked. Right. Yeah. And usually they're in their post-operative dressing for, you know, seven to 10 days after surgery. And then these patients are kind of expected to go back to their, their normal routine after that time frame. So if we're seeing them, like you said, it's usually there's a problem or something's kind of gone wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if you have a patient who has an open release, a common thing is they end up with a little bit of what we'll call like devitalized tissue um, that ends up kind of 
covering over that wound underneath there, is that something you're inclined to leave? Or do you do like a sharps debridement to, to take that down and open that up a little bit? Yeah, I think, you know, the tissue on the palm is so much thicker and um, where you kind of need to debride it and get rid of some of that stuff. So yeah, I like to get rid of it and make sure it's all clean so no, no bacteria can live under that. So any devitalized tissue I'm removing. Yeah. For the same reason, I like to remove it there. Um, if they're after the 10 to 14 day mark, not not prematurely, we're not, we don't want to like cause any dehiscence. But I also think it gives that patient who's maybe kind of on the edge about should I be using this hand when they can see it's clean and closed underneath there and it's not nearly as like uh, intimidating a look. I feel like that really kind of opens their mind up to like, oh, this is okay and I can start using it and it's not as scary because that that surface devitalized tissue can look kind of gnarly and scary for patients who are comfortable with that. So it really kind of opens their uh, their willingness to use it quite a bit. Yeah, I think that's a really good point is how it looks with that devitalized skin on there. People think it's not healed when actually the underneath is pretty well healed. Yeah, yeah. So all kinds of good information. It's big picture. We're not seeing them for much, if any time, maybe not super long, kind of managing expectations on how long pillar pain can last. Uh, but doing some education and getting them back to using it again as early as possible. Yes. Yeah. All right. That covers our post-operative therapy for carpal tunnel.